0: Hello, and welcome to Season 4 of For the Love of Duluth podcast. My name is Tom Jamieson. I am a former lawyer who moved to Duluth about seven years ago after I bought a business here called Lake Superior Medical Equipment, hanging up my lawyer hat after 25 years. Joining me as co-host of this podcast is a lifelong Duluthian, a registered nurse, and the marketing director for Lake Superior Medical Equipment, Yvonne Myers. So why did we start a podcast called For the Love of Duluth? because we love this town and the interesting people, places, and experiences that we continue to discover here. If you already live in Duluth, we hope this podcast will teach you things you never knew before about the place we call home. If you are planning to visit Duluth, we hope this podcast can act as a tour guide of sorts, giving you an inside look at the remarkable people, places, and things that make up our unique city. Duluth is a star of the show, and our guests help it shine even brighter. We hope you love this podcast as much as we love the city it's named for. This is season four of For the Love of Duluth. Only one other body of water could be deemed more Duluth than the St. Louis River, beat out only by the large lake it flows into. The St. Louis River is the largest river in the country that flows into the Great Lake Superior, clocking in at just under 200 miles in length and draining over 3,500 square miles. Through its journey from Hoyt Lakes to the Great Lake itself, it passes through three distinct areas, including the stunning Jay Cook State Park. Even more impressive than its size and beauty is all the wildlife that inhabits the St. Louis River, which includes over 45 native species of fish. From walleye to northern pike to smallmouth bass, this river is flooded in the best way with fish. You'll see just as many critters on the outskirts of the St. Louis River, like beavers, woodchucks, otters, and if you're really lucky, a black bear, coyote, or red fox. Many birds, plants, and trees also call the areas surrounding the St. Louis River home, while the Fond du Lac Band of the Lake Superior Chippewa used the river as their primary reservation fishery. Despite its beauty and abundant wildlife, the St. Louis River also happens to be one of the most heavily polluted waterways in the state. An unfortunate fact, that made it a Great Lakes area of concern in the mid-20th century. In 2015, it landed another hapless title, this time placing on America's most endangered rivers list. Thankfully, one membership-driven organization has made it their mission to help restore this iconic body of water, all while protecting the waterway and enhancing its beauty along the way. That organization? The St. Louis River Alliance, which officially started doing business under the name in 2009. Their vision is strong, dreaming of a clean and healthy St. Louis River with thriving ecology, economy, and community, all working together in harmony. The mission of the St. Louis River Alliance goes hand-in-hand with their goals, which include improving the health of the river's ecosystem, continuing to take on habitat projects, and building a passionate team. Fundraising to keep the mission alive and getting the community involved in the St. Louis River are also big goals for the Alliance. While they already have their passionate team down, one led by the executive executive director, Chris Eilers. As head of the St. Louis River Alliance, Chris works tirelessly to bring the mission of the St. Louis River Alliance to life. She couldn't be the more perfect person for the job. As a kid, she dreamed of doing something to help restore the polluted waters of Lake Superior and the St. Louis River. Today, she does just that in the biggest and best of ways, even growing the membership of the Alliance 500% in the past five years. With her in the forefront, the St. Louis River is in great hands, with more than 10 years of experience working in environmental protection, water quality, and habitat restoration. She's also had 20 years of experience in the private corporate sector, another part of her background she brings into the mission of the St. Louis River Alliance. So far, so good, as she's already helped manage a bunch of different federal and state programs involving the St. Louis River and brought thousands of people to see its beauty in person, a number that keeps growing every year. She's here today to talk about her passion for the St. Louis River and her dated day role as executive director of the St. Louis River Alliance. Chris, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, Chris, I am uh, I am so excited that you're here because I think that when people think of water and they think of Duluth, they think of Lake Superior. But this uh, this river that uh, creates the harbor is just just amazing, the St. Louis River. So I want to get to that. I want to get to the St. Louis River Alliance because I have a lot of questions. And I'm also excited because my fiance and I just... Uh, bought a home near the river. We're very excited about uh, getting involved in the St. Louis River. And, um, you know, I, I, I realize that this podcast isn't all about me. And Yvonne often says, you know, Tom, the whole world doesn't revolve around you. And I always say, well, I think you're talking crazy, Yvonne. In this case, I just happen to be really interested in this. Awesome. So uh, you're just going to have to bear with me because I'm going to ask a lot of question that's perfect They just interest me yeah. and no one else so <laughs> but before we get started we always like to talk about kind of the journey that that our guests take to get to where they are so
1: let's start where did you grow up I grew up in Stillwater Minnesota and River Falls Wisconsin mostly oh okay in, those, I, in that I area love those
0: I love those areas yeah
1: great river towns great they are both great river towns yeah and I think that's why I have such a strong connection to and I think we all do have we all have that strong connection to the body of water that's nearest our right. home where we grew up. So, I grew up on the St. Croix River and the Connecticut River. And right. so, they're both really important to me and shaped a lot of what I do and who I am really. Right.
0: And and both beautiful rivers. And it's it's kind of interesting because the St. Croix, uh, it never it, it never flows into the uh, Lake Superior, but gosh, it, it gets pretty close to it in terms of where its headwaters are.
1: Right, where the headwaters are for sure. Um and Mississippi is, you know, it flows into the Mississippi, so there's they kind of join there too. Right, but right. yeah, um yeah we did a lot of camping. Um we swam on the river and um we swam in um down outside of Hudson, sort of, uh, mostly on the river there, oh, and sure. um, at Pemble's Beach, um, it was actually a private. It was actually privately owned, but they allowed people to swim there. Um, we camped. My mom and dad were teachers, so we had summers. Um, my dad was a carpenter in the summers, so um, I helped work with him. And in the summers, when I was old enough, and then, but we did a lot of camping and canoeing and fishing, and I think that's started a lot of my connection with um, with rivers and. water.
0: That's cool. Obviously, you developed a passion
1: there somewhere. uh, Absolutely. About uh, about water. So uh, did you go to high school in
0: Stillwater or River Falls? I went to
1: high school in River Falls. Um, We moved from Stillwater to... the River Falls area when I was in third grade. So I most I most spent most of my school years in River Falls. And then, did you go to? Uh, did you wind up going to college in that neck? Of the no, woods I or? did not. I did not want to do that. Um, I actually uh, took some time off. Well, we can talk about this. I don't like to talk about it. <laughs> Um, I went to Bible school in Dallas, Texas, and I got oh. kicked out. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. And, you know, it was a great school, and I went there for the music, actually, because I, I wanted to do music and stuff, and they had a really good music program, but they had very strict rules. Bible I just schools didn't are known really for that, I think. fit in very well there. So I did other things after that. And sure. then I went to um, school out in Wyoming at a small community college for commercial art, actually, is what I did.
0: Okay. End up interesting. Doing. All right. Yeah. So we now have you in. Wyoming. How did you get from Wyoming to Duluth? What, what was oh, that journey?
1: Like? I came back and really, you know, um, I didn't stay in Wyoming very long. It was a great place to live. Being able to go camping in the mountains and stuff was a really awesome experience. Um, but I didn't stay there very long. And I came back and I actually finished school in Minneapolis at a technical school for graphic design. Oh, okay. And then um, I did that for a few years, and and then I had a couple of businesses. I did. I had a printing business, and I did some graphic design and I actually kept that going for quite a while but I did not want to work in the commercial art field um, because it just seemed to it was really hard to be to be creative on demand for me and so I just got into management from there actually I worked at the New Richmond News in New Richmond Wisconsin for a while Um, and so that kind of got me into management and I had a few other jobs in between there but um, I ended up living in Eau Claire for almost about 20 years after that so
0: that's a spell
1: and and in know, Claire, I worked at a large company and um, kind of worked my way in through management that way. And I really learned some amazing tools there that come in handy no matter where you go to work. Um, because they were very well set up for, um, they had, they had a lot of really good classes and um, they had a lot of really good support for management. So, but it was, it was fairly dry. I worked in inventory actually. And, and, and then I was a buyer for a while. So interesting. I did a lot of different things, but I've done a lot of different things in my life. And I think, well, one of the things, you know, to kind of go back to my, you know, my dreams as a child, I think, you know, growing up in the seventies and eighties, what was happening then, and a lot of people don't know what was happening then. But there was the back to the earth movement. There was right. a lot of horrible industrial pollution. And um, like the Cuyahoga River started on fire. And right. It, right. So there was a lot of um, pollution and people really started to rise up and demand something right. different from the government. And that's actually when like the Clean Water Act was passed. And that's and we just road celebrated road. the 50th year for that. <laughs> but, you know, when I was um, when I was younger, um, living in River Falls and we would up the shore up the north shore to go up to a camp up on the gunflint trail and so we passed through Duluth on the way and I remember I must have been 11 or 12 and I was already really environmentally conscious because of everything that was happening and I noticed the destruction that humans were doing and when we drove up through Duluth I looked down and I could see the pollution happening and I and then as you get up the shore I saw companies dumping stuff in the river and I bugged my parents incessantly about why they were doing that. That always stuck with me and I think when when I think back to those, you know, like how I wound up here, is really it feels really um, miraculous in in so many ways because I just kept following. I'm a person who've always I have always followed my heart, and so that didn't always lead me to big money. <laughs> right. <laughs> almost it almost never did. Um. And so when I look back at what I'm doing now to the things that I that I noticed as a child and the things that were born in me and instilled in me and impressed in me, I I just think wow, that's really cool.
0: Well, you know, it's it's funny, and I'm probably about the same vintage. As you and I, you know, there was a time when we were growing up when humans just didn't have much respect for water. Terrible pollution almost everywhere. Right. And it, lots of pollution here in Duluth. You had taconite <laughs> factory in in Silver Bay that was dumping whatever.
1: That's what was. I and I do remember yeah. seeing
0: that there. And, and that got stopped in the seventies. Yep. So it's it's kind of been quite a journey, and fortunately, there's been a lot of progress made uh, since that time. A lot. And it continues yeah. to get made. We left off with you and a, a Claire. Yeah. and you were working uh, in the private sector but at some point you you switched moved into the non sector. Yeah. And sector.
1: sometimes you need something hard to happen before you, you know, get out and do Um, The next phase of your life that that's really challenging. But for my whole life, I was born in Ashland, so I was born on the lake. So I've always had a really deep connection to Lake Superior. And so being in Eau Claire, I always felt like I was gonna die if I didn't get up to Lake Superior. So I used to go to Bayfield a lot and to Madeline Island. And so that was kind of my connect in Ashland. That was kind of my connection to Lake Superior. But it just kept calling and calling. And then in 2009, when there was an economic downturn, um, things got pretty rough at my company, and there was huge layoffs. And I was one of them that got laid off. And so I missed a bunch of them before that. But then this time they they laid off hundreds. It was a very large company, hundreds and hundreds of people. So I have always done a lot of building. And um, my dad was a carpenter and taught. he actually taught shop in Stillwater. So I grew up with that. So um, I spent the summer after I got laid off helping a friend of mine um, building up at her up at her retreat and doing some things. And I decided that I wanted to go to school to either do boat building or to build guitars, because that was something that I had wanted to do when I was 18. And I didn't, I went to Bible school and got kicked out instead. Um, but anyway, that, not very many people know that about me. So now lots of people are going to know. Yes, um, millions, <laughs> no, millions of people. I, I, I
0: wish that's really not
1: But the case. you know, but, that helped shape that helped shaped me people. too. You know, those, right. those are things you, you have to deal with <laughs> in life. So when I got laid off, I spent the summer doing that, you know, woodworking and everything. And, and I realized that it just took all of my stress away when I was doing that. And it it just um, kind of solidified in me that I wanted to do something like that. And so um, I went back to school and I went to Red Wing for guitar building. So I did that for a year. And that was very stressful. too. It was it was really a great program, but it was really crowded. And it was it was um, very intense. It was like surgical precision. And I don't think I could have done it when I was 18. Um, but I finished that and then um, obviously couldn't find a job doing that so <laughs> There wasn't really many jobs around anyway, so I started looking towards Lake Superior because I had always wanted to be by the lake, and so I just started making a list and writing in my journal everything that I wanted, and one of the first places that I came to to explore was Duluth, and one of the guys I had met in guitar school had was living here at the time, and so eventually he asked me if I wanted to start a shop up here, so that's why I came to Duluth, actually. Um, so during that time, I had to look for another job because we weren't going to make any money, So um, or not. Right away, anyway. So I actually got a job at Community Action Duluth, planting trees for the Duluth Dream Corps, okay. and it was an amazing. Uh, community Action Duluth is an ama- is an amazing place to work, and also an, an amazing organization for the community. And um, I didn't know it at the time, but it was a jobs program. I did not. I didn't even know it was meant to um, get people back to work and help people um, with resources, having insurance again, and things like that. And it was actually uh, funded by the EPA. The the first Years of the Stream Corps were funded by the EPA, as kind of um, built on the model of the the old um, Civil, this, the, the old CCC. Oh, oh, sh- sure. And so I was, I got one of those jobs, and I didn't even know that that's what oh, it was at first. But it helped me connect to the community, and we planted tree- trees along all the streams in Duluth. It helped me get to know people in town, and it helped me get my fingers in the dirt, which is exactly what I needed after a year of of a lot of stress and needing to just reconnect and it also helped me feel like I was doing something for Lake Superior and because those streams all feed into Lake Superior and Duluth here and a lot of people don't know there's 43 streams that
0: run through Duluth. One of the things we love, right? Yeah. A lot of those streams have beautiful waterfalls and right here in Duluth. And they
1: all have, they almost all have parks. Right. They almost all have a park running through the neighborhood. So that's how I got to Duluth. And then through that job which is exactly what it was meant to do is that it was supposed to be a step up and so I had met uh, Julie and Beau through, um, we had a Habitat Action Committee that was working on the, the stream core project. And so I met uh, and networked with the people um, from the St. Louis River Alliance. And then uh, that was the, the first time when I realized that this estuary was what I was seeing when I was a kid. Right. That's where the pollution was. It was the U.S. Steel. U.S. Steel. And, yeah. And among others. That was visual. visual. Well, that was the yeah. visual yeah. that I was seeing anyway. And so then I learned about the St. Louis River estuary and the area of concern work that was happening and then um, eventually Julene hired me to be a project manager for um, the St. Louis River Alliance. So then when she retired, I did actually did the job for a while and then the board decided to hire me to be the director. So I've been the director since about 2014
0: or so. 2014. So that's uh, nine years. Yeah. You've seen a lot of progress. Yeah, You've absolutely. probably been one of the instigators of a lot of that progress. So I think for people who aren't familiar with the Diluc- Maybe they're not sure what the St. Louis River is all about, but the St. Louis River, as we said in the intro, does flow from Hoyt Lakes, comes all the yeah. way down, and it's just some great elevation changes. Some of those are dammed up. Eventually, it forms this huge estuary, and it's just beautiful. But unfortunately, it had a lot of industry. There was and the, the, probably the biggest piece, uh, biggest industrial site was the U.S.
1: Steel Plant. Which, there was a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah.
0: but uh, that that wound up closing, what, in the 1980s, I think, but yeah. Obviously, like a lot of these uh, industrial sites, left a legacy of of contamination, mm-hmm. which is being cleaned up. So I guess let's let's start about when the St. Louis River was designated yeah. an area of concern. Right. Because that number one, it's not a great designation. On the other hand, it means that you're probably going to get some funding to clean things up. So when when did that happen? In
1: 1987, the EPA designated this uh, estuary as an area of concern, and largely, you know, people don't remember. Maybe don't remember this but there was unregulated dumping happening they weren't doing it illegally it was uh, it was legal to dump everything in the river and into our waterways because it just goes away when you put it in the river right
0: that and that's just the way it was that was just the thinking as i said we just didn't have any respect for water
1: right and unfortunately um this place was home for thousands and thousands of years to to the ojibwa people who came here for the food that grows on water which is wild rice right? and also um it was an abundance of of everything this estuary is 14,000 acres of like a, um, where the, the estuary means where two bodies of water mix, and right. so it's it provides habitat to many different species that that we don't normally see in this area because of that. It's a and it's also a huge migratory flyover place and stopping grounds for many, many migratory birds, right. animals. We have pelicans that come here in the spring, yeah. Um, we nice. have animals here that people don't get to see other places. We have river otters that go out into the lake and. And, and you can see them almost on a regular basis when you put your kayak in the water. I almost always see it on otter out there, it's, and it's just fun. Um, but because of the unregulated dumping that happened, it became one of the most polluted waterways. And there's there was 43 designated around the area of concern, and that was with between Canada and the U.S. Right, around the Great Lakes. Around yes, the Great Lakes. Yes. And so um, what that means is that the EPA then charged the states with cleaning it up, and there was not funding for it right away that it took a long time. Also, which happened uh, during the Bush administration, they they started the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative towards the end of the Bush administration, which also continues to be bipartisan.
0: Chris, we have to take a short break here. Okay. We're gonna hear from our sponsor, Lake Superior Medical Equipment, and then we are gonna be right back and, uh, and dig into the whole St. Louis River and the St. Louis River Alliance.
2: Lake Superior Medical Equipment is proud to announce some big news. They have opened two brand new locations, nearly eight months after the fire destroyed their Duluth store and warehouse, the team at Lake Superior Medical Equipment has bounced back bigger and better than ever with a new storefront at 4730 Mike Colaleo Drive in Duluth. The new store is located in the lower level of the Bullion Center with more parking and a great new layout. That's not all. Lake Superior Medical Equipment has also moved their store in Cloquet. Customers can now shop at their brand new location at 907 Stanley Avenue, just a few doors down from their old store. Something that hasn't changed? The amazing customer service you have come to expect. From Lake Superior Medical Equipment. Our friendly staff is ready and waiting to help you find everything you need in our two brand new locations in Duluth and Cloquet. Stop in and see the friendly staff at Lake Superior Medical Equipment today. Have a question? Give them a call at 218. 218- or visit them online at lsmedequip.com. In the meantime, keep up with everything happening at Lake Superior Medical Equipment on social media. Just search for Lake Superior Medical Equipment on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn.
0: All right. We are back with Chris Eilers, Executive Director of the St. Louis River Alliance. And Chris, when we uh, took a break, we were just talking about uh, the designation of the St. Louis River as an area of concern. And uh, that happened in 1987, but took a while for funding to to, Mm -hmm. eventually for the state, I guess, to start funding the cleanup. When did that happen? And, And talk about some of the progress that's been made.
1: Right. So, I mean, just a little more background. So the states are charged. Now, our estuary is bordered by Wisconsin and Minnesota. So the St. Louis River Alliance actually started from the Citizens Action Committee, the original Citizens Action Committee that started in um, shortly after the designation. But it it started with a meeting up at Denfield, I guess. And there were so many people who were concerned about the St. Louis River that they didn't have enough room for everybody there. And so that was really the beginning of the Citizens Action Committee. Which is how we started out, um, and the, the EPA required a citizens component to this process, where the states were charged with, you know, cleaning cleaning up this pollution. But it took decades of work to get to the point because it was so. It was so big. It's so it it's just so um, overwhelming that they right. didn't know. You know, it just took a long time for the organization. But the St. Louis River at the Alliance at the time um, helped convene groups together to talk about what needed to be done and to provide that citizens' input into it. And so we acted as um, facilitators to for these meetings um, in the very beginning. And then over time, when when we got to a certain place, in the remedial action plan was the first remedial action plan was completed, and I can't remember the years right now, but um, there were several iterations of this remedial action plan that was like a comprehensive, you can still find the documents actually linked in our on our website. But um, if you need some light reading, it's, it's a lot. So these agencies came together along with the Fond du Lac Band, um, came together and worked and many organizations too, and the city of Superior, the city, city of Duluth have all worked together on this. But what accelerated the work the most is the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative that provided funds and also the Great Lakes Legacy Act um, that helped the work be able to get done without identifying a responsible party, which is what was slowing it down. Right. Um, so there was two big things there. Um, and some of the biggest changes that happened on the river in the 70s were when LsSD came on, the Western Lake Superior Sanitary District came online, um, and also the Superior um, Sanitary District, because that stopped a lot of the, the mercury and stuff from coming into the river. So, I mean, there's naturally occurring mercury that happens right, as well, right. but... You got to stop the bleeding before you can. So that that is one of the biggest uh, milestones that happened on the St. Louis River is that stopped that. And what actually what I started to say before I just want to go back. Thousands of you know thousands and thousands of people lived here right. and took care of this estuary for a long, long time, thousands of years. And we don't have all of that history. There's oral history. We don't right. have it written in history books. But a lot of the things that I heard when I came to Duluth that kind of bothered me was they started the history of the settlement. History and that's not where the history right, started right. here. There were humans living here in harmony with the estuary Absolutely. for a really long time who, respected who did respect water. it right. because they knew that their lives depended on it. Right. There, It was a mutual, a symbiotic relationship, which we all have, and we right. all have that that primal desire to do that, but it kind of got glossed over because of the ways that, that we were taught to do things and that what we were taught was okay. Um, and some of us felt that stronger than others when we saw the pollution. Um, some people think that's just the way it is, but I think that it bothers everybody in a little bit of a way that they don't maybe just can't recognize. So anyway, so the people who came to the St. Louis River Alliance's first meetings when as the Citizens Action Committee kept on coming and kept on coming. And actually, some of those people were on our board for a very long time um, until we decided that we needed to evolve into a different kind of organization and and board. But um, the funding helped create um, a lot lot. lot more resources to get the work done because it was a a lot. So the remedial action plan outlines all of these management actions that need to be done and they identified nine beneficial use impairments. So people can go on our website to learn about that. We have links to different resources or they can go on Minnesota Pollution Control Agency or the Minnesota, you know, DNR, Wisconsin DNR's websites for that. It's, It's a complicated process, but in essence, there's management actions that need to be done that were identified. Identified early on, and they only have to do with legacy pollution. The area of concern, bucket of money, does not have anything to do with something n- like new threats or things that are just happening now. Um, a few years ago, there was some issues over at one of the oil refineries um, where there was some leakage or something happened. This was before the refinery right. fire, but there's there's new things that happen now, but th- those are not being addressed by the area of concern. Right. There's other programs for that within the other states. Agencies, so that's a big distinction that we need to make. That the alliance actually helps with that kind of communication to the citizens. So we kind of act as a conduit right. between the agencies and people who live in the community. So, I and mean, we could go on and on about all the work that's well, been done. But
0: well, and we're gonna we're gonna get to uh, some of those because I think uh, we'll talk about that. But I also want to say that another thing that's going on too is the U.S. Steel site. That's a super fun site. Exactly. So, that, so that's something that that's does a different have, process. Yeah, Money right yes and generally they've they've found a responsible party too they did I'm going to guess U.S. Steel yep and and uh, so that is being cleaned up exactly uh, as a Superfund site but let's go back to area concern because you were just talking yeah. about the nine uh, uh, what do the you beneficial call use impairment beneficial uses so because you've made great progress on a lot of these yes so one of them was a fish consumption advisory yeah and there is like there is on a lot of lakes a fish advisory consumption still. But the one that's in the St. Louis River now is really no different than what you
1: find even in the boundary waters. Right. So there are some things that a lot of things have gotten better. And like I said, if you use, I'm a firm believer in, you know, you stop the bleeding and you stop the polluting, that river's going to come back by itself. But we had to, there's a bunch of processes that need to be done. Now we have a different timeline than nature does. And so we want things to be better quicker, which some of these projects are helping to do. Um, And they're, they're, very complicated that and the agencies do all of that work we assist with other things but um, we don't actually we're not going out there with dredges and scooping up contaminated sediments but, right, but someone is right, right. The, the, the agencies are hiring there the agencies manage those big projects right, we have right. a couple of small projects that we do but
0: well I think one of the things you said you, you might have a different timeline than nature does but nature will sort of tell you if you're doing a good job or absolutely not. And, and so what's what's happened. So the fish, so the degraded fish and wildlife populations, that was one of the things mm-hmm. you needed to address. That You
1: did your homework.
0: Warning, well, it's <laughs> all on your website. That was removed in 2023. That was just removed. That was just today, removed. Or this year. Fish tumors and deformities, another issue that was resolved in 2019. But I think you can also look at the kind of critters that you're seeing in the water, not only fish. I mean, I see people fishing in the river and yeah. apparently this year the fishing's been better than ever. Yeah, and not only normal fish you you would expect to see, but some fish that really require clean water, like sturgeon and stuff, are making a, a comeback. They in are. the St. Louis River, so that's kind of nature's way of giving you kind of a, a thumbs up, isn't it? Sort of. It
1: like is, and there were... was a lot of work that was done to restore some, like even the sturgeon habitat as right. well. So there, you can you can go on on our website and find the the details of these projects that were done. And just because a beneficial use impairment was removed, it doesn't mean that there is nothing further to do right. it I try to tell people because this is very hard for people to understand and I'm you know I won't say I'm a purist but I'm close like I because I just I just love the water so much in a perfect world where there is a ton of money and unlimited resources you can do an a plus job on this stuff but we're doing the best that we can as human beings with money I'm not saying that everything's being done perfectly and there are things that people can do better we're learning as we go that's what science is you you change as as you as you go, but this this program addresses the legacy pollution as best as they can with money that with the resources that are available. Right. And, and
0: again, you're seeing you're seeing the benefits of that. I mean, Absolutely. You know, you know, you were talking when we were on break about about otters, seeing otters mm-hmm. quite often when you're kayaking on the river, and you're seeing beavers. There's beaver dams along the river. These are just huge improvements. They really to what are. The river was like in the 70s, 80s, and 80s, I mean, and, and, and 90s, now, and now. The goal is to get the area of concern designation removed right. in just a couple of years. Right. It's
1: yeah. it's there'll be some monitoring. There'll be a, a, an extended period of monitoring as well before that can be officially removed by the EPA. And the agencies working on this have to um, have a compelling you know compelling data to show that it right. ne- that it can be removed. And those indicators are removing the beneficial use impairments, um, which we're actively involved in. And I attend all of the area of concern coordinator meetings. So we are an active partner with the agencies, and I just I just want to say too that you know I've worked for the Alliance for you know more than ten years now um, altogether eleven years now, and um, and some of the agency people have come and gone and retired, and but the people I work with live they live right here. These aren't people who live somewhere else and they're working they're calling the shots from afar. These are people who live here and care about the river, and so they really do have the best interest in mind of the river. So it's not like a bunch of people making decisions from a federal agency these are people who work live and work right here so
0: well you know and I, I think I want to talk about one of your goals of your organization a big one is connecting people to the river that Connect, is a huge and, one and you see that happening and you know part of that I guess is you could say well one way to monitor that is are there investments taking place along the river and there, you've mm-hmm. got a huge one now in the river west area and it's not just the river it's the trail systems yep. that they have here that, that You've got the Munger Trail. You've got the uh, DWP. You've got the beautiful River Trail, which I hope we're going to. We are going to, to, to talk about that. Talk talk about that because that's that is fabulous. So I think there are, and of course, the more people that connect with something, the more likely it is that they're going to want to become invested in yep. that. And you're seeing this now with the
1: river. And that is the whole reason why we exist. So, um, like I said, we started off as a citizens' action committee, primarily working on the area of concern, and then over time we started branching in to like we really you need to have that stewardship component in order to keep the river clean and so helping people connect and fall in love with the river that's where my heart is at like because that's what changes people's lives and hearts and minds if you love something or someone you you want to take care of it and that's not the only reason why we want to love something it changes our lives for the for the better when you have a, a good relationship with your body of water and the earth your lives your quality of life is just better too and so we really focus on connecting people to the water to create stewards and also it helps the community it's a win-win situation and and we've had a bunch of different projects over time that the work helps connect people to the river but um something that we kept hearing over and over again and and, and i want to and i'll mention the partnerships in a little bit here because that's the most important part of the work that's been done here is the the amazing partnerships and the collaboration that's what i've witnessed over 11 years is this amazing uh collaboration that we've had. Had between the community, the community has helped really made this a whole success. I think that the things that I've heard the most over the years is I hear all this money, uh, you know, Great Lakes Restoration Initiative money. How come it's not going to the neighborhoods? Well, in some ways, it has been going to the neighborhoods um, through the city of Duluth. The city of Duluth has done a pretty good job of trying to help revitalize some of the neighborhoods. But then there's always there's always some negative side to that too, where there's gentrification happening, and we're also seeing a little bit of that in Lincoln sure. Park right now, which is, you know, it's definitely something that always needs to be addressed whenever. And I this is what I hear when I go to the area of concern conferences and I talk to people from other areas around the Great Lakes is that is one of the biggest concerns. Um, whenever um, a place has been polluted and a neighborhood has been historically cut off from their body of water and suffered from that pollution um, health wise and economically, that area is also the, you know, the people who suffer the most when that work has been done because then they get booted out of their own neighborhoods because they can't can't afford to live 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 there anymore. So we do need to be mindful of that. But I think over the last few years, the EPA has really been listening to what people want and, you know, saying, hey, where's the environmental justice? Where's the money for that? And so they are starting to put some money, you know, put some money towards that now, which we're really happy to see. Um, So one of the projects that we're really excited about to be working on with, we've we've had a contract with Minnesota Pollution Control Agency every year for quite some time. Um, But last year, well, actually in 2022, we started a new contract with them that has an environmental justice um, focus. And so we're really excited about that. We are focusing on on, um, helping connect people in the river neighborhoods in the Minnesota side because we're, that's where the funds are right, coming from. Right. So that's people have asked, how come you're not doing this in Wisconsin? It's because we're funded through Minnesota Pollution Control Agency um, for this contract specifically for this contract. Right. That doesn't mean we're not going to do anything in Wisconsin. We do try to work in both states equally. Um, but there's 18 different river neighborhoods that um, have been historically cut off due to pollution, due to industry. You know, there's a lot of industry built over there um, and. And so we started this new contract where we are working. um, We worked, we had six different events where we, over this last winter, where we um, talked to people from the river neighborhoods and we had them fill out some questionnaires about what do you want to do on the river if you had the opportunity and what keeps you from doing that. And so we just finished the summary and and report on that. We'll be publishing that soon. Will that be on your website? It will be on our website for sure very soon. And so we had some really meaningful conversations with people. And, and then so the next four years, we're going to be doing four events per year based on that information. And we'll be helping to provide the resources through this funding to get people out on the river. That's really cool. It's really exciting. And it was really meaningful to have the meetings with, even though some of them weren't that well attended, but we, the people that we talked to were really excited and was like, you mean you're going to take us out on the river? Like yeah. we get to actually go out on the water. And so there's people that we used to do a lot of outreach. We went to Stowe Elementary, which is a a great school for you know helping reconnect kids back to nature and then those kids are reconnecting their parents back to nature and superior middle school and that superior school forest has these great projects too so we're really excited about this one because it's at the heart of what we want to do and we want to take that across you know on both sides of the river right
0: well hopefully you'll get some funding from the Wisconsin we are and we are working on that too say I want to because we're running out of time I think I wanted to get to the the trails because mm-hmm. you've got this beautiful river trail right and right now it starts in West
1: Duluth, I'm trying to remember the name of the street that it starts on. It's really a series of loops. Right. So it's it just starts below the Fond du Lac Dam. You're talking about where it starts on the on where the first loop is, at like around Chambers Grove.
0: Right, right, right. In the western side. The part that I'm talking about is the is the little river. It's kind of a gravel path that goes along the river, kind of goes by
1: Oh, are uh, you talking yeah. about the on that the, the trail on the land? Yes. Oh yes. that's Wabajishakana yes, trail yes, that the yes. sa- that the city of Duluth has been working on for yes, years. Yes. Right. It's about three and a half miles long now.
0: Is that gonna get extended?
1: Yes, it's being it's being connected and there's more information on that on the city website. And I like I don't have it memorized right, exactly right. where, but they are working on connecting when we work very closely with the city of Superior and the City of Duluth. Um but What I wanted to make sure we mention is the National Water Trail designation because we worked in 2016 and 2017 with over 50 partners with uh, under the leadership of the city of Duluth. And we worked on an application with the National Park Service to designate the St. Louis River Estuary as a National Water Trail. So they worked with a consultant and they came up with 11 different loops that would provide different experiences to different levels of paddlers and boaters. It's not just for motor. It's not just for paddlers. It's for motorized boats as well. And um, that was designated officially in 2020. And so we just came out with, we're on our third um, edition of maps. They just came off the press last week. So we have new maps. Oh, that's great. So I like to say that the National Water Trail designation is a celebration of a cleaner river because that is an indicator of how much better it has gotten. And I could tell you lots of stories about what people have told me um, how the river used to be, but just the fact that we have a National Water Trail and we want people to come. and one of the questions when we were doing a a brainstorm about you know branding and stuff for the national water trail and one of the questions from our consultant at the time was how will you know you, when you've been successful and we laughed and um, one of the persons said well no when people start getting tattoos of the river instead of just the lake yeah. so hopefully that's coming yeah. um, and we do want people to come and enjoy the river and take care of it we don't right. want it to be overrun with careless
0: people exactly we want people to love the river not love it to death but love the river and respect the river and uh and it it will change your life if you do. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, as I said, uh, we're, we're moving uh, that way and really looking forward to finding out more about it. I just, again, it's just great that you're here. I wish we I wish we had more time with you because I'd love to just get further down, drill further down into this. Uh, we do like to ask all our guests when they are not doing whatever they do when they're a normal day-to-day job that got them here to the podcast. What do you like to do in Duluth when you're not doing your job?
1: Okay. Well, I spent a lot of time in my workshop um, building things but I, I like to go kayaking and paddle boarding on the river um, I like to go to listen to music at um, one of the hundreds of venues that right. we have here uh, especially in the summer. Glensheen Glen is great yeah. there's, there's uh, Sir Benz is right down the street oh, from absolutely. me so there's uh, tons of music venues um, the trails that we have here like the Wabajishikana Trail and right. um, the, the trails around Lester Park are some of my favorite. I go skiing there in the winter and um, Duluth is is the place to be if you like to be outside. If you like the outdoors, and there is so much green space. And I think I like that, to ride my bike.
0: Right, exactly. And there's so there's so many great places to do it, and there's so many great trails, bike trails out west. And I think it's it's really starting to dawn on people what an incredible place this this uh, St. Louis River is. And uh, I'm just uh, I can't wait to see the, the continued progress of your organization. So thank yeah, you so thank much. you. Thank you so much for what you do, doing. Thank you so much for your time
1: thanks for having me it's it's a blast
2: to talk about the river always (laughs) thanks for listening to another episode of for the love of duluth season one two and three are available now wherever you get your podcasts all you have to do is search for for the love of duluth have a minute to spare leave a five-star review and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode we hope you are loving season four so far We'll see you next time for another brand new episode of For the Love of Duluth.